it is time to tune up the band and let it up for it is another episode of the sweet chinwag podcast i am sam alongside dan and reardon as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling good afternoon chaps on a sunday which is weird for us. How are we doing? Stop peeling back the curtains. So I'm, whoops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. So <laughs> CM Punk. Oh, no. How are we doing, chaps, anyway? Yeah, that's all right. I mean, like, like I said to you guys, I am partially refreshed from, you know, taking some time away. Nice little break. <laughs> Also, still very tired. Anyway, though, I have the women's Euro final on, though. Yeah, so that's I'm, true. I'm excited. I'm excited. Go on the lionesses. Go on lionesses. Both. Te- I have been looking at it. Both. Both teams have only let in one goal entire tournament. So this is going to be fascinating to see. I've not seen these two teams since I went and saw them as a little kid in 1966 in the same place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like I said to my mates recently. I said when I when I get round to buying my for anyone that's listening to this and hasn't already been told this information, I'm an Arsenal fan, um, and that maybe this season when I buy my kit, I'm just going to get one of the Arsenal women's players because I don't feel like any of the men's players deserve it. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. And here's me thinking maybe I should get a Mighty Ducks jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing stopping you. There isn't at all, especially when I've seen a lot of retro Mighty Ducks jerseys, but I digress. I am a Mighty Ducks fan. Sorry. We won the Stanley Cup a while ago. I say that a while ago, but we won the Stanley Cup a while ago. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, Islanders. (laughs) Anyway, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, there are a lot of things out there that are new. But what isn't new is our promise to always be pending and we always will be. That's that's just cat that's just how it will always be. I like the emphasis on all in the always there. There you <laughs> go. There you right, go. You made it work. I made it work. So, yes. so before we have our little me and Dan trying to convince Reardon to watch All Japan Pro Wrestling, <laughs> it is time to visit said Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. Wrestling news. We're in a very unique position, aren't we, Dan, in terms of talking about pay-per-views, aren't we? In that, in the weekend, uh, it's already happened. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, for, forgive us for seeming a little bit surprised by all of this. Yes. I am just going to quickly, before we go over to SummerSlam, of which I'm going to clarify, I haven't actually watched. I've watched a couple bits of highlights from it. <laughs> because, again... I've been all I've been away for most for most of the week, uh, and I don't think my partner would take too kindly to me just spending the entire time we're away watching wrestling. Fair. Um, depends. <laughs> depends. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, right? That's that. That's the logic I was working off. Um, 
So just quickly, I do want to talk about the announced uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and Stardom partnership title. So to clarify, it's not replacing the red belt. Mm -hmm. It's not replacing any Stardom belt. It is just a Stardom title, which will be defended primarily on New Japan promoted events. And US, and apparently uh, not yeah, only and shows, also, and US events as well. And also, um, like, New Japan US. So, like, it's kind of weird to make sense of for a lot of people, but, like, it's just a title owned by Stardom that's also promoted by New Japan. New Japan don't all of a sudden have, like, a women's division or anything. <laughs> it's just that we will see women's matches promoted by stardom on new japan shows look we're not gonna we're not gonna suddenly see minoru suzuki slapping women look he did that several years ago with asuka so you know he's all right in that <laughs> to be fair saying that all japan probably would have been like you know what for charity stick it on one of our events yeah <laughs> but that's like that's like all japan circa like 2007 it's a very different beast <laughs> but um, um... No, but I mean, like, it hopefully opens the door exactly. for stuff like getting more Joshi wrestlers into the um to like US indie promoted events because like New Japan wrestlers and New Japan US have done stuff for like um West Coast Pro, um I think it's PW Revolver mm -hmm. and a couple of other of like the the big indies. I think I know I think some have been over in um I think it was Garden State. Yeah, uh, not too long ago. So I mean, hopefully that's a sign. And if it is, really, really cool. I like it. I I feel that this is the um, this title was definitely a gateway for a for a casual audience to get into Joshi, specifically Stardom, of course. Um, yeah, and but I if this so, is your really. gateway into getting into Joshi, I'd say now's the better time now's the more like the better time to do it with with such a stacked card in both stardom and tjpw and both companies have been getting their stars uh a lot of exposure in aew tv as well so yeah it seems like the perfect to perfect time to do it i understand the logic behind it in regards to uh the parent company of both new japan and stardom to do an iwgp women's belt yeah hopefully the person who win, uh, the woman who wins it first, ends up wearing a red scarf like Anoki and starts slapping everybody. <laughs> it's a slapping mandatory. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Because remember, Anoki, it's Anoki. <laughs> the I in IWGP stands for Anoki, Reed. <laughs> so I think the first rule of anyone who wins an Anoki belt is slap someone. <laughs> I mean, like just like it, he did it's... with that Spider Man. <laughs> It, it's what he'd want. Exactly. And it's but what no, I, I mean, like, wants. It, it's it, it's it's really it's really cool to see. And as I said, more people getting more opportunities to get into Joshi is absolutely fine by my books because I'm sure my friends have had enough of me trying to educate them on it. Yeah. Mine yeah. as well. Mine as well. Reardon, I think, for that matter, as well. I mean, it's literally my job, so I'll just I'll just vibe with it. <laughs> See, the di the, di the difference between lots of those uh, uh, between lots of other people I've tried to do that with and with Ridden is that I feel like Joshi appeals to Ridden in a specific way. Yes, 
I mean, if yeah. if, if if some if our last episode was anything to go by, uh, with with yeah. the Alundra Blaze Bornicano uh, match. What can I say? Uh, you know, I I am a man of simple pleasures. Yes. <laughs> and this and this is this this is the thing. Anyway, let's go to SummerSlam. Of which, what I've what I've heard is that <clears throat> by most metrics, it was a good event. It was. I have seen some people say that they think it is the best WWE premium live event of this year. <laughs> it's genuinely surprising. Um, to take a quote from Eric Bischoff I saw the other day and I stand true to what he says by this for this new regime to come about I reckon it's going to take 60 to 90 days before we see any credible positive change in WWE and I stand and I actually agree with Eric on that one um, yeah. with this I think this is the good start is the best starting point honestly um I watched this and was just thoroughly impressed. Everything was cohesive. Everything had a point to it. The matches flowed really well. There wasn't one that ever outstayed its welcome. And even the silly bollocks in the main event, which we'll get to, was kind of justified, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the thing I saw. I know I saw a thing saying that apparently for like this, Triple H was like, well, we're going to see out like Vince's creative stuff and then we'll get to doing like our own stuff. We'll kind of tie all the loose ends together and then, you know, start running, start going on a new thread, which to be fair is probably the most logical WWE has been in a good while. <laughs> it's yeah. surprising, isn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with it. And obviously like having, being a big fan of NXT Black and Gold, yeah, you know, like I, I have to, I have to feel like surely anything which approaches towards that that point mm-hmm. or that kind of level can only really be a good thing, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Matt, to get on with the matches, uh, we opened up with the Raw Women's Championship, which I think was a very solid, strong start to go for. Yeah. Uh, it's a different. What a difference a fucking year makes, isn't it? Jesus. Yep. Yeah. I tell you, this uh, this was the drizzling shits last year, but now this is like this is a bloody good match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing what changing owners and creatives can do. For it's amazing you. what you can. It's amazing what you can do when you actually dedicate time to an idea. <laughs> it's oh man, uh, Becky and Bianca just work so well together. They just do. I, I, I love the I love what they can make and this match was no different. Really solid match from the pair of them. Some big spots as well from Bianca as well, pulling them out. Uh, she retains the Raw Women's Championship, but it's what happened afterwards, I think, that's got everyone talking. Bailey's back. Yeah. To a thunderous applause. Love to see it, but Bailey's back, joined Bailey... by Dakota Kai and Io Shirai, now renamed Io Sky. Because remember, which... Americans can't say Japanese names. Of which I'm gonna say, right? <laughs> Personally, it feels like a microaggression, which is yeah. a strange statement. Given Slightly, the fact yeah. That I'm not. I'm not Japanese. Yeah, I but like kind of, but the name kind of feels like a microaggression. But also, it's not like it's not as egregious as previous ones. So I almost don't mind it. <laughs> yeah, I almost don't mind it, but uh. Nah. 
Shirai, come on, guys. It's no Yoshi Tatsu. Let's just let's just let's just be thankful for that. Hey, I won't I won't have people besmirch the good name of Yoshi Tatsu. Only Yoshi Tatsu does that. There we go. I'm just like guys, guys. It's two syllables. We can we can run with that. Come on, come on. But it surprised the heck out of me, mostly because one of them was released from the fucking company. Yeah. Well, this is the this is the thing, though, right? Because this is the kind of thing that um people were saying about expecting to see happen. Mm. Because obviously there are going to be people who had who did not have their faith in Vince, but obviously seeing Triple H come back would probably be you know well invested in returning. Mm. And I'm glad to see it because Dakota is one of those very incredibly talented people on the roster that deserved it. So, oh hell yeah, Ab- absolutely! So happy to see her back, and with a group as strong as that trio, ha ha! I'm mean, excited to see what they all, do. Cover all the bases you could have wanted. Exactly, um, gentlemen. I'm going to surprise you by saying by saying something with this next sentence. Go ahead, Paul's sir. not bad a wrestler, is he? <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. Right. If I if I say. From what I saw, which was like mostly highlights, mm. he doesn't seem bad. He's got yeah, timing. You know, you know, He's he, got incredibly like, good timing. Like he isn't. He isn't a bad. He isn't a bad wrestler. But like, and now hear me out on this. Okay. It is so funny seeing people go. Oh man, I really like. Like like oh wow, Logan Paul's really really good. When I tell you. That when watching the highlights from that match, that's straight up PWG shit. <laughs> oh no, Logan Paul was pulling off so much he's, stuff he's shit from PWG. He's straight up like doing PWG wrestling, and it's so funny seeing seeing people go like like the like seeing the people. Go, oh man, Logan Paul's not a bad wrestler, and then and then the same and then that same thing of like I know if this was just some indie wrestler, people would despise this. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. It's I great. would say he's got a he's got a damn good frog splash on him because he was able to jump off the top turnbuckle in onto the announce table with Miz on there. So he's got a not he doesn't have a he doesn't have a bad frog splash on him got- at all. He's, I was I was gonna I, I would dare not say it's as good as Montez Ford's, <laughs> but yeah, it's but that good. Man, that man used to be a competitive gymnast. That's just unfair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Honestly, I have to say, I have to say though, mm. like in terms of stuff that he could turn into like signature spots and whatever, mm. I think there's some really good stuff there. I think they've got some stuff to work with. I still hate the man, but oh no, no, no! Like he's a good wrestler. Does not mean that I like the Paul brothers in any way, shape, or form. I, I still despise him, but like you know, not in bad. terms of the insidious part of YouTube. They're the they are. The despicable ones, if you ask me, and I will stand by that. Well, his brother especially, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I still like regrettably. You're a good wrestler. Regrettably, I regret it with all of my That's heart. Right. We're, 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 we're say, wrestling fans. We're used to that. Exactly. Uh... I will say this though. I love Champ. I love Tommaso Champion purely for one thing he did during this match. When the ref called him to re- get him to remove him from ringside. Champa just grabbed a chair, sat down, and said, I ain't leaving. No one's ever done that before. He's just like, fuck off, I'm not leaving. 
No. Oh, well, I guess I'm done unless I call security. No, uh, AJ Styles came out from the, uh, from the crowd and beat up yeah. Champa, ran him out. <laughs> oh, so the next match, we had the Mysterios versus the Judgment Day in a no-DQ tag match. Again, always not. It's always really. I always love seeing Ray and Dominic. There's some kind of like really heartwarming thing watching father and son tag together. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. I, I just, I'm wait, I'm just waiting for that, for that father and son hell in a cell match. Just waiting for it. For the truth, the people, people are there, and maybe now with Triple H is in charge, I could be maybe slightly inclined to what to see that feud happen. But also, I'm just like, oh, no, I, no, no, no. I no, no, no. have a feeling it could be the absolute worst thing WWE has ever created. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I mean, someone else versus the Mysterios very specifically <laughs> because I, because either we get to see Rey Mysterio react to. To his small boy getting bloodied, or we, or we see Dominic react to his father, a small boy getting bloodied, <laughs> whilst wearing an "I'm your puppy" shirt as well. <laughs> they absolutely just whoever whoever the heels are in that match, they'd make them do like just Eddie Guerrero spots. I want, I want, I want the Miz in an "I'm your puppy" just covered in blood, holding a kendo stick. That'd be, that'd be hype. Also, also, this is a small tidbit, but I really dislike, like, the Judgment Day. Just call yourselves Judgment Day. Yes, I Not agree. It's very annoying. Or, you know... It's very annoying. Or, no, or, you know, just call yourselves... No, the it's the club. one specifically... No, they can't do that for legal reasons. Ah, oh, god dang it! Uh, Anyhow, they the they need Judgment to make Day. Where wrestling tights. Oh fuck! Don't don't. Judgment Day lost, by the way, just to let you know. Yeah. But we did yep. see the return of Edge with this, and it's good to All right, see. Let me Edge. just tell you this: Why did Edge return with the Effie jacket? I was gonna say. Yeah, he ended he up. He returned with the Effie jacket. He ends up coming out with a black metal T-shirt and an Effie jacket. <laughs> <laughs> whilst wearing the brood sunglasses may I add as well that man is such a father <laughs> he really is <laughs> oh gosh he came out as well it's like, I don't. he didn't come out to uh, Metalingus uh, no, he came time. out to the new one that they've done yeah, yeah. but of which I have to say but he the did come out from him the returning. Flames. Yeah, I know, but the moment of him returning and hearing the "You think you know me" would be infinitely better than the than the one that happened. Exactly, and I know that could potentially be seen as having like bias to the to like the past that I enjoyed, but also like I think it just would work. Come on, Metalingus is the most fucking hype entrance song you could ever have. Up there, I would I agree on that one. So yeah, we had that. Pat McAfee versus Happy Corbin. Pat McAfee won. Uh, Michael Cole was on incredibly good form this whole yeah, because he doesn't have he doesn't have this. Vince in his ear. Corey Graves made a uh, made a slight reference to that, saying, "Oh, is it amazing that you have your own opinion now, Cole?" Very bold of Corey Graves to make that statement. I was gonna say. <laughs> Because I'll, I'll be here and say, just in general, man, Corey Graves as, an ounce, as a commentator is like, good lord. He was good before he got to the main roster, I'm just saying. 
And then, like I said, Michael Cole not having Vince telling him to plug the network like 13 times a segment. I will always say that and maintain to people, if you ever go back and watch the first UK Championship tournament, Cole is incredibly good. Yeah. Like, him and Nigel are incredible in that first tournament. Dude, so I've Cole... always maintained the belief that if Cole just stopped having Vince in his fucking ear, he might actually be... He might actually do well and people might hate him less. No, that that's, that, that's the thing, though. That, that That's entirely the point I said about Michael Cole. Just when, he, when he is allowed to do what he wants to do, he is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. There's very little wrong with him, and I, like you can look at like kind of like I think it was when he was on like SmackDown, mm-hmm. like, like two thousand six seven. I think it was when they had Michael Cole and Taz. Yeah. Which like yeah okay Taz is a commentator at that time was like ropey. <laughs> but I'm playing Final Fantasy then do Cole. <laughs> but that's, like that's very big of you to say, Dan. <laughs> but like. He like genuinely, Michael Cole, not bad at all. Yeah. And then just ever since he's had Vince in his ear, ear constantly, it has just been like, oh god, this is this is painful. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why a lot of people turned that turned off of WWE around 2010 during the whole Michael Cole heel turn. Oh yeah, did you also like Pat McAfee's? Um, I'm. Uh, we can't. It can't be a Panama Sunrise, but it has to be like a Panama Sunrise. It's a Panama code. It's a code Panama. Oh, sunset. Code there sunset. <laughs> Bam. Why didn't you just call it that, Dan? Come on, man. You're slipping. It was a sunset flip power bomb. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. The Usos versus the Street Profits for the undisputed tag titles. Jeff Jarrett as guest referee. Hell yes. Cultured. Um, this wasn't a bad tag match from the pair of them. I think, if anything, it's it was more to set up a potential thing happening. Street Profits lost this opportunity, and we saw Mon- Montez Ford sort of staring off, doing the thousand-yard stare, staring mm. off into the distance, uh, contemplating his future. Now, of course, this has gone to the conclusion that, uh, oh, Angelo Dawkins must be getting Marty Jannettied, and I can't... For the love of me, I can't stand that term. I hate it when people do it when tags split up. It's just that Angelo Dawkins, I think, of anything over the past month, is starting to prove that, no, I'm not fucking Marty Janetti at all. If I say that I think Angelo Dawkins could go on, like, a D-Lo mid-card run. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like, like, we know Montez Ford is probably going to, like, the upper echelons. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there's, but, like... Angelo Dawkins as like a just a solid mid card worker is like a strong level. You are looking yeah, I, at the real deal now. <laughs> I, I want. I really do want that. Like, like I like, think I think he could straight up have just like a solid mid card run. Yeah, like like they're the outcast of of wrestling. They really are. Mm. But there is absolutely like negative. Ten shame in being big boy. Yes, like it. Because it, right to to echo the D'Lo Brown point, right? And I maintain this position until this day and into the future. At any other time period, D'Lo Brown would have been a certified main eventer. Yes, it's yes. just that he happened to come at a time where there were so many infinitely better people than him, right? 
And the thing is, like, yes, Montez Ford is going to be the one that's going to probably going to go up to like the the top the top spots. Mm. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with just being a good working mid carder. Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. To to, to point to your um, outcast analogy. There's no problem being big boy when you're dealing with Andre 3000. Exactly. <laughs> My baby exactly. don't mess around. <laughs> I, 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 I eagerly await the speaker box love below error of the Street Profits. Oh, 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 oh. Eagerly await it. Eagerly await it. I want to see that shit now. <laughs> I have, what, what does that look like? No idea, but I want to see it. <laughs> Two different, like the same pay per view, but two completely different looks when you flip them over. They really should do that. Uh, like, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't, frankly. There you go. That's a WrestleMania idea for you, Hunter. <laughs> them, them, them coming out as Outcast would be hype as fuck. It's WrestleMania, but then there's also another cut of the of the WrestleMania footage which just has a red fin- a red filter over it. <laughs> oh, no, that's the thing, isn't it? No, that's the. <laughs> Or is that playing WrestleMania on the virtual boy? <laughs> Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. This match didn't go on for very long. Um, this was the shortest match on the card, actually, at 4 minutes 35. Apparently, there was, there might have been timing issues. There might have been an injury issue there. We do, I don't know the, 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 the definite things about that. But Was the issue called Ronda Rousey? By issue, uh, well, Ronda did turn heel in this one. <laughs> Uh, surprisingly, even though I imagine I thought for the longest time she was already healed when she returned, but I digress. Ah, uh, yes. yes. Same, uh, same. Yes. Face Ronda Rousey in wrestling. Uh, Liv Morgan uh, told... Uh, told... <laughs> no, I shouldn't make that joke. I was just about to make an awful joke and I shouldn't have done... I'm not going to do it. Just don't do it. It's not just worth put, it. Just put, just put a beep in before that and then everyone will think you made the joke. I should have gone beep. Vaccines. Uh, <laughs> and, Liv Morgan, and Liv Morgan retained the title. Uh, best decision in the world, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, again, kind of organic, natural baby face. I don't know why they're positioning Ronda as a face against Liv Morgan, but <laughs> pop off, I gonna, guess. It's never going to work, was it? Uh and we get to the main event. Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Last man standing match for the Undisputed Universal Championship. Brock Lesnar came out in a tractor. He drove... Now, that's it. That's he, it. That's he, the end. Now, that's, now that, that's appropriate. But now what we don't have confirmation on is whether or not Brock Lesnar is forklift certified. That's the thing. And he personally, did up, that makes me angry. He did end up climbing on into the scoop part of the tractor lifting himself up so he could cut like a like he introduced he, he introduced himself he did his own ring introduction and i kid you not someone grabbed the angle of it brock throws the microphone to roman no hesitation no flinching from roman he he just catches the fucking thing roman caught the fucking mic <laughs> as brock i tell you roman reigns Goated. There you go. He no flinching. This Dino on Twitter said the black dynamite theme should have played as soon as Roman caught that microphone. <laughs> but Brock dives off of the scoop 
on to Roman and we begin. Not much really to say about this. It's your typical last man standing match. Only for a few things. Brock F5 Paul Heyman into the announcer's table. <laughs> Just that long term storyline, baby. <laughs> Usos kept constantly interfering during the match. Both or both of them receiving F5s. Action spills outside. Both Roman and Brock are laid out. Who should enter? Fucking Fury with his Money in the Bank briefcase. Yeah. He didn't have time to cash it in, though, because Brock was like, fuck your chicken strips and F5 Fury. <laughs> Before he could be entered in the match. We had Roman putting the broken announcer's table on top of Brock to get the 10 and the win. He retains... The uh, undisputed Universal Championship. Not much of a surprise, uh, yes. really, that was going to be the case. Ah, uh, yes, Roman Brock's Roman. greatest weakness, plywood. Exactly. Breakable <laughs> plywood in an airbag. But <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, that's how we wrap up SummerSlam 2022. As I said, it was... It was easy to follow, which was which is the nice welcome change. <laughs> Everything made sense. And it looked like they put effort into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the week prior, everything prior would have been going through the channel of one senile old man who keeps forgetting things, which we found out recently in a news story. The man suffers from memory issues. Yeah, that was the thing about her, allegedly why over the last like two years, just like the same matches just kept getting booked constantly. It's nuts. Of which I have to say... I feel like at a point you have to question it, right? Like surely you have to be there and go, oh, we're doing this again? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And here's the thing, chaps. This isn't even the biggest event we're getting in, in Nashville or in Tennessee. Uh, because tonight, Jim Crockett Promotions presents Ric Flair's last match. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett was oh this is the warm-up act for jeff he, he's only in SummerSlam, but he's going to be in rick flair's last match as i as just jared and jay lethal go know. up against flair and andrade el idolo <laughs> let me just say right <laughs> this entire thing is just a, the biggest mistake but also when like if I'm ever asked to support a student with understanding English literature, right? And they want an example of the word hubris. Yeah. This is going to be my example from now on. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, that's I was gonna say something, but you pretty much have it yeah. down. Every time I see this, I'm like, this shouldn't <laughs> exist. This no way there's like I I will. What can I eat? What can I eat? <laughs> we're ba- we're basically just gonna watch an Andrade versus Jay Lethal match, and then occasionally two old men are gonna come in and slap each other. Like you know what the problem is though. Well, actually, no, not it's not even a problem. The thing is, Jeff Jarrett still Jeff Jarrett's still probably gonna be the one that steals the show. <laughs> that may have yeah, because there. chances are the show stealing bit will be like, oh, geez. Jeff Jarrett can actually still work. And then there's this stumbling around old man who's bleeding from his head. 
Yeah, I'm I'm genuinely convinced that Ric Flair might actually being try might actually be trying to actually die in the ring. Yeah, no, no, no. It, yeah. That's how it feels. It really does feel like, like that. <laughs> I genuinely think he might be a danger to his own life with this. Mm-hmm. I'm legitimately like, no, no. None of this. None of this. Probably you should have just called it a WrestleMania 24. You yes. had a good run. You know what yeah, I... surprises me about this match, though, Dan? Or this card, I should say, for Ric Flair's last match. Ricky Shane Page is booked in this card. Yeah, but like, <laughs> Ricky, Shane, Ricky Shane Page is representing... Um, isn't it like... They, they they ask for like representatives of different like companies to, mm. go, there, to go there. So I think he's representing... I think weirdly, Ricky Shane Page is actually representing progress there. Of course he is. Of course. <laughs> Fucking damn it! I think I think that's I think that's what he's there for for part of it. He's like representing Team Progress, <laughs> or something, something weird like that. Something tells me Triple H is going to be on this card in the audience somewhere. I I guarantee there's probably going to be at least a high or at least a video package from Triple H during this. I'm sure there'll be, I'm sure there'll be video packages from loads of random people. They're probably gonna, and for all I know, they're probably gonna get like a video package from fucking Migos. Oh my god, that's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually the Ric Flair song. He yeah, he actually would. Migos absolutely would, and just stuff like that. It's going to be... Look, w- w- there's going to be one of two things when this episode goes out. All right? We were either laugh at the fact that Rick, we have a stumbling, fumbling, bumbling Ric Flair in his very last match and just being even being sorry, feeling sorry for him. Or we're going to be we're going to be talking about a Ric Flair tribute. It's going to be one of them. Yeah, it, 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 it will be... It will be either why did he do that or how the hell did he do that? And there's no in between. <laughs> it's it's so needless. It's just needless. This is so needless. So, but at the same time, I, I am morbidly I, curious. I don't. I don't. I did not need there to be a trilogy of of Ric Flair retirement matches. And we all thought Terry Funk was bad. Terry Funk is bad, terrible. But Terry Funk is like the oh, what's his name? Oh, his name went out of my head. The famous, the, the, oh no, that's gonna bug me. No, that's gonna bug the shit out of me. I, I can wait, see wait, his wait, face. Wait, let me see if I can help you. He's a musician. Ah, oh, famous musician, like old as balls, like does country. Ah, oh, I can see his face. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Yes. That's the guy. Yeah. That's the guy. He's the Willie Nelson of wrestling, so it's not quite accurate. <laughs> Thank you. I'm shocked that you managed to get that. And quite honestly, my grandpa, my grandparents are massive country music fans. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess we need to listen to Terry Funk country album then. In that case, absolutely. Did for review. <laughs> he, he doesn't, does he? He has a. He, he has one exclusively released in Japan. New episode coming soon. That's <laughs> another music review. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, anything else in the news, or is that kind of all we've got there, Dan? I mean, I think that's the most of it, <laughs> right? Isn't it? I think so. Lovely stuff. Anyway, 
Reardon, recommendation of the uh, recommendation corner for this week. What have you got for us? Oh, I've got something for you guys. Guys, how do you feel about Elvis Presley? Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Oh, well, you know what? It's kind of apropos, really, with SummerSlam being in in Tennessee. You know, yeah, I feel, yeah, see, I, I, yeah, that is. I've always appreciated Elvis for what he was, and for for, for that, he has a he has a couple of bangers. That's for damn sure. Yeah. So, uh, my own personal history with Elvis. Um, okay, I won't lie. First thing, first thing that always comes out to mind is quote Elvis was a hero to most but he never meant shit to me like, there, yeah there we go public. however um however for, for the record yes public enemy did recant did recant like the other part of that line at least in spirit saying that no 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 he elvis was not racist he he legitimately was not racist mm. but but john wayne was so that so half of that line still remains <laughs> no, we do not recommend John Wayne. Fuck him. Fuck John Wayne. I don't give a shit. And you know what? While I'm at it, hot take. The searches is boring as shit. Uh, the so hot take. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, you're not wrong. Boring as shit. John Ford did much better movies. Anyway. Hey. Anyway. Anyway. My recommendation is Baz Luhrmann's crazy ass biopic Elvis which is actually honestly probably it might be in my top 10 of movies this I've seen this year nice I really like it like a lot as someone who who knows of Elvis but never listened to much apart from what my dad said Mm. and and played me it's actually a really, really good movie. Um, I think his name's um, Aston Butler. Aston Butler, I think. Mm. Yeah, Aston Butler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, it is Austin. It is Austin. It's Austin Butler. My apologies. He does a really good job as Elvis, both singing and like. The hard thing about Elvis is like doing anything as Elvis is not to do like an imperson like a bad <laughs> Vegas impersonation. Mm. But he actually does like a really good like him as a person, like as a character. It's really good. The weak link is actually Tom Hanks. With no. the single most Yeah, I know, right? With the most bizarre accent i've ever heard tom Hanks tom hanks ever do and he did forrest gump yeah 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 it's it's it we got a new top spot lads of bizarre tom hanks like accent i don't i don't like there are two things that will like uh, I will caveat with like you're either gonna love or hate with this movie one is is tom hanks mm. i won't lie it's 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 a weird performance. The other one is Baz Luhrmann's entire style. If you don't yes. like if you don't like Baz Luhrmann, this isn't the movie that's gonna make you like Baz Luhrmann. Like it just straight up. Like all of the stuff is there. The great I saw a great tweet the other day is what if what if um like he made the he made the Elvis biopic like he made Speed Racer, <laughs> <laughs> but. But considering 
the trio that make this podcast, that sounds like a fucking awesome time. Yeah, and it is. That, it, it, and so, I want to see, that is. I want to see the Wachowskis take on Elvis Presley now. Oh, well, you can just watch the Baz Luhrmann. Thank God. It basically is. It basically is weird accents and makeup and all. Okay, but we have to ask, where does Wes Anderson fit into all of this? Ah, <laughs> uh, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> he really doesn't. Um, I, I eagerly await the, the Wes Anderson Bob Dylan biopic, which might make me go on a murder rampage. It's the whitest thing that ever whited. You know, what, it's, while I'm at it, in terms of like music hot takes, I, I just cannot with Bob Dylan. I'm sorry. I know the problem's probably me, but I can't with Bob Dylan. I'm no, sorry. no, 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 no. I agree with you because sometimes I think he sounds a little bit like Kermit the Frog when he sings. No, God, don't say that because now. If I said that I understand other people. I can understand why people like him, but for me personally, I cannot like no none of those reasons feel valid to me, and I cannot stand it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it like, I do like other people's versions of Bob Dylan songs, though. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Shout out to All Along the Watchtower, aka Jimi Hendrix's version of yes. All Along the Watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at least we're yeah. all in agreement that this is a podcast that is not the biggest fan of Bob Dylan, yeah? Yeah. Or you. John Wayne. We, we we are not fans of oh, either of those people. Fuck John Wayne. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. N- n- neither of those people. But yeah, um, really, really good movie. The soundtrack is a banger. Like, <laughs> even, like, even, like, like... Um, real big recommendation to um to tame tame impalers remix of um of Elvis's Edge of Reality. Ooh. It's really good. It's such a banger. It's so good. I'm not surprised considering it is That's tame as impala. Psych- okay, let me just say this. That is as much psychological distance to me as the concept of the Wiggles cover of Tame Impala. <laughs> Yo, listen, listen, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to just pre- I'm just going to put this in our in our Discord chat for you guys to listen to afterwards. Yes. It's only like two it's only two 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 minutes forty three, but it's a hell of a two minutes forty three. <laughs> it's so good. I'm looking forward it's to this. So so good. Looking but uh yeah, those, those are my two you know those are my two recommendations. <laughs> if you don't want you don't want to listen if you don't want to watch the uh the Elvis movie, listen to Tame and Paler's remake of Edge of Reality from the Elvis movie. It's so good. <laughs> and also quick and also another quick side note. Um the the person they got for the uh, little Richard cameo is sheer by panic. It's unbelievable. Guys. Like like that is a man who understood the fucking assignment <laughs> and just kind of made me sweat through my shirt a little bit. See, it always makes me laugh. When Little Richard comes up, I can't help but think of Mark Merrow when they gave him the gimmick of Little Richard and called him Johnny B. Bad, despite the fact that's a Chuck Berry song. Yes, yes, yes. Again, you're, you're, you're addressing a very specific point there. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that is, that is my recommendation. Lovely, lovely stuff. All right. <clears throat> Dan, are you prepared? I mean, I think so. Reardon, are you ready to be info-dumped? 
Always. For it is our guide to all Japan pro wrestling. Oh, this one I'm really hyped to do. Just kind of just, just kind of go over just like like a little bit of stuff. And now I'm just gonna just dump you with who you should watch and what matches should you kind of keep an eye out for on your explorations. Alright, before we get to that though, a little brief history on all Japan pro wrestling. Let's take you back to the late 60s. The one man, one company and one man on top. Legend himself, Ricky Dozan, who I feel definitely deserves an episode on on his yes. own. Uh, a Korean-Japanese wrestler who actually fled North Korea to become a sumo wrestler. And then through, uh, I think, through uh, through the, the, the advent of American wrestling coming into Japan, became a pro wrestler himself and set up his own promotion, the Japan pro wrestling alliance or jwa for short in the late 60s and 70s two of ricky dozan's greatest students become the biggest names in jwa antonio Manoki and shohei giant barber these two are the most popular japanese sportsmen in their in their country and they're drawing massive numbers and massive attendance numbers at the gates but when ricky dozan unfortunately passes away in 1972 friction comes uh, it comes crawling its way towards barber and anoki in terms of the future of jwa both of them have different mindsets into the style of wrestling that they like. As we all know, Antonio Inoki was very much into wrestling being a legitimate uh, combat uh, sport and wanted to present it as such. Giant Barber, through the influence of not only Ricky Dozan, but through the influence of American wrestling by the guys uh, such as uh, uh, Vern Garnier, Nick Bockwinkel... Um, Carl Gotch, all the classic American wrestlers, he wanted to introduce that sort of style of professional wrestling to Japan, with a little element of strong style in there thrown for good measure. So from that, in October 1972, JWA dissolves and two companies spring out from its dissolution. New Japan Pro Wrestling, run by Antonio Inoki, and All Japan Pro Wrestling, run by Giant Barber, and the Momota brothers, Mitsuo and Yoshihiro, the sons yes. of Ricky Dozan, funnily enough. I'm sorry, that's the most stereotypical Japanese thing I've heard in a while. <laughs> yes. Just really, we're doing the we're doing the, the classic two two like two tribes have now like a, a clan has now split into two warring factions. Yes. Really? Oh exactly. Yes. Oh no, it is, this, it is so cliched when you go into the history of old Japan and new Japan. Time is such a fucking flat circle. Good oh, God. Yeah. Oh, so the, in, in 1972, of course, the this the, the roster when uh, all Japan started consisted of Barba, the Momota brothers, Akio Sato, Samson Kuk, uh, Kutsawada, Matoshi Akuma, and Masahio Koma. Uh, I tell you my first piece of, uh, like thing that messed with my head when I got into learning about um, AJPW. Yeah, which was uh, learning uh, Giant Bubba's first name because it <laughs> felt wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because I, I don't know why know him. it just felt wrong. I, also, I, second piece, 
Giant Baba played baseball, and it feels weird knowing that fact after after having watched him wrestle. Yes. Well, it's weird in general that the Japanese love baseball so much. It's weird I in mean, general. I mean, you know, America, post-war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but still. <laughs> so, to bolster uh, All Japan's uh, All Japan's start, they were under the membership of the National Wrestling Alliance. And through that um, uh, membership, they managed to bring in a lot more American wrestlers. Starting out, actually, to help bolster the first few match cards All Japan ran, included super of wrestlers, I should say, not superstars, wrestlers such as Bruno Sammartino, Dominic DiNucci, Classy Flady Blassie, The Destroyer, and the Funk Brothers, Tori Senior and Terry. Fucking yes. Fun, fun fact. Giant Bubba wrestled Bruno San Martino for the WWWF World Heavyweight title in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. There's no survive as far as I'm aware, there's no surviving footage, but it is a thing that is known to have happened. Yeah. And so through that, they they bolstered on and ended up cultivating huge numbers, actually, uh, equaling, of course, to New Japan and Anoki's promotion. Of course, during this time, Anoki would go on not only to have a fledgling career as as the booker promoter of of New Japan, but took it to mainstream attention when he ended up having a hybrid boxing wrestling match against Muhammad Ali. Ah, uh, yes. Muhammad Ali Something during the, the weird ass parts of his career. But the thing is, though, even amongst all of this, through the weird parts of Muhammad Ali's career, I don't even lay a single bit of blame on Muhammad Ali. I blame it all on Antonio Inoki. Because <laughs> yeah. Antonio Inoki gives me the vibe of one of those guys where he would find out where Muhammad Ali lived and then turn up at his house and offer to have a sparring match with him. Funny, true. On the other hand, so was Muhammad Ali. Yeah, I was going to say, both of them are like, like a match made yeah, in heaven. Yeah, like, I, I was going to say both of them are as bad as each other. Uh, match made in hell. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I just get the feeling that at this point in time, Antonio Inoki was just like, nah, I've got a fucking vision right now. <laughs> <laughs> I am on a mission sent by God. This needs to happen. <laughs> He's always been like that, though. Yeah. Which, which may, I think you know what it makes that matchup actually make a hell of a lot more sense when you realise how what the both of those mindsets were coming from. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Anyhow, fast forward a little bit more. Of course, we have the NWA World Heavyweight Championship being defended more times in the 1970s. A Mexican relationship starts up, and we get Mil Mascaras coming in every so often. And, of course, Dory and Terry making waves as one of the most popular gaijins within all Japan. As I said, fast forward a bit to the separation of the NWA in the late 80s and early 90s. And this is where we're going to kind of, kind of stay in the late 80s and early 90s because this truly was the golden age of all japan mm -hmm. barber distanced himself um from a lot of promoters not only abroad but from home and began a system of promoting talent both japanese and gaijin uh to compete exclusively for his promotion 
Of course, with all of these championships that they cultivated, they needed to kind of put together something else to really kind of bolster the main event position. Hence, the Triple Crown title was born, even though they kept all three championship titles. Yeah. Though. <laughs> but then again, though, walking around with three belts is cold as shit. Exactly. And a giant trophy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we get to see the best and most iconic talent coming in to the promotion. Now, this is where I'm going to say to you, Reardon, this is probably in terms of where to get started. Late 80s, early 90s, I would say, is the ballpark we're going for. But who should you be looking out for in particular? First person, possibly the greatest talent to come out of all Japan, that I would dare say their biggest, most iconic and influential star they have ever, ever had. Jumbo Saruta. This man was probably, at the time of the late, well, mid to late 80s, was the Hulk Hogan of Japan. He was the most popular star in all of J Japanese professional wrestling. And he would go out and have tremendous 40 to 50 minute main events with everyone on the All Japan roster. As a matter of fact, he was the one to win the first kind of official Triple Crown Championship when he beat Nick Bockwinkle uh, from the AWA in a uh, in a uh, All Japan show in 19... I want to say 1982. And he would not lose that title until 1990... 1990-91. Mm-hmm. Jumbo is uh, it, when you look at Jumbo, it's a very he's a very unassuming guy. You wouldn't expect, oh, that guy must be a really iconic wrestler. But the, when you actually go and watch his matches, you, you start understand. to realize, oh my goodness, yeah, I understand now. Also helps this man competed in the 1972 Olympics in the Greco-Roman wrestling. So he's so he's what if Hulk Hogan was Kurt Angle? Exactly. <laughs> Fairly unassuming guy. You wouldn't think in a million years that he would be uh, a professional, a professional wrestler, but he is. Uh, he was and was incredible and carried all Japan for an incredibly long time. Mm -hmm. um, do you have? I was going to say, do you have any words about Jumbo? Uh, uh, about Jumbo that you can convince Reardon to watch watch him, Dan? <laughs> I mean, honestly, my biggest thing when it comes to Jumbo Sarita matches is obviously getting a sense for the kind of feel yeah. of his matches. Obviously, you can see the influence from the, I guess, what we would term amateur background mm -hmm. um, and the kind of intensity that that brings. Yeah. But also, just he's one of the wrestlers I like to point out when I talk about presence in wrestling. Yeah. Like, even though he is quite unassuming, it's kind of that thing of, like, that kind of unassuming nature about him makes it all kind of more scary. Yeah. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah. he's all... If you watch press conferences and, like, pre-match interviews, he's all smiles and seems very jolly and friendly. As soon as he enters that ring, he's he is... He's kneeing your head off. I will. I, I will also say as well. It does help um, that he definitely doesn't seem as big as he is, and mm. then you kind of again you realize. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that's the case for all, for most wrestlers, honestly. Mm. 
like it is weird it's weirdly it's weirdly unassuming obviously when it comes to uh jumbo saruda matches just steady yourself for the kind of thing you're going to see yes okay <laughs> it's brings- big it, it's big it's power it's kind of messy but like in a intentional way yes. or intentional feeling way oh is it kind of like a uh, almost like a, 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 a Big Van Vader kind of feeling. Yeah. King's yeah. Road is the best description of King's Road I can I can give with is that. It's just like, it's it's kind of the storytelling of, of, of American, typical American wrestling. But these guys are literally fighting for their lives. It's not in storyline and they're not kind of like going through the motions of the moves. They're, kicking lumps out of each other in order to see who is the best out of the two of them. I think about um how do I I think about King's Road. The the biggest thing I can get to try and get the point across about what it's like is whereas like um I'm gonna say American wrestling, the American wrestling style is about like obviously you have a storyline to tell. Mm. King's Road is about, like, the struggle. Mm. It's less about, like, oh, well, you know, this is the baby face, this is the heel. They, they they exist as characters. But, like, rather than it being, like, oh, we're going on this, like, emotional arc, it's like, no, each time we're getting bigger, badder, bolder, it's more intense, and it's always kind of building to a point and then obviously it's like you know like when you're playing like an rpg and then the first thing that happens in the game is that like the final boss beats you like the uh, final yes. boss like almost kills you or whatever right in like cutscene. yeah all japan is all like giant barber booking is kind of like that in a sense <laughs> I've abstracted the point quite a bit, but like I'm hoping this makes it the easiest way to get it across. No, 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 no. I get, I get you, I get you. But it's like it's about the struggle. Mm. It's about the fight. It's about the like finding your limit and then beating it it's, and going past it. It's pure, condensed, unadulterated fighting spirit is what it is what kind of like the king's road is like how how can we take this further how can we make it seem more violent more realistic more desperate and then obviously you get into the realms of people doing like you know the the top guys doing like neck bumps like constantly yes yep yep which uh oh god it's even for me being a massive fan of king's road it's still incredibly hard to watch but Getting a bit... Actually, real quick, has that has that sort of stuff just been part and parcel for it since day dot, or is that like a relatively new development? It, honestly, day dot. Honestly, it wasn't really until I mean, it really didn't become a lot more common until um, we get to Jumbo's time there. And the next person I'm going to recommend to you, Genichiro Tenryu. Ah. Oh. I don't, Tenryu... I don't know how to. I don't know how to describe Tenryu as a person, <laughs> but Tenryu is like the super, the superstar 
that kind of doesn't always get recognized. Yes. So, he uh, like, so he's a bit of an unsung hero, is he? I would say he's the unsung hero of, of, of like Japanese wrestling for sure. But the problem, the problem that Denryu had was that because he felt like he wasn't being noticed every other year, he just appeared with like a new venture. <laughs> so, that yeah. would like probably die and collapse within a year. I mean, there's a reason why he was called the Revolution because he definitely was a breath of fresh air to Japanese wrestling at that time, and everyone was kind of, in a sense, almost trained to be copies of Anoki and Baba. And here comes Tenryu with a much more very fast-paced, agile and frenetic style. Um, he ended up really bringing out the best in a lot of people. But as Dan said, he didn't really stay in companies for very long. Uh, he didn't. He was booked um, during his time in AJPW to be kind of the the um, the tor- the person to have the torch passed after Sur- after Jumbo was going to go to to Tenryu. But of course. He didn't stay at AJPW for very long, and that's when he went off to form his own company. I still, I, which I still love to this day. He called it. He called it. He called it W A R War Wrestling and Romance. Beautiful. I just love that name so much. I mean, it would eventually be turned into Wrestle Association R, which again, it's it's it's, it's okay, but it's just, it's not as good as Wrestling and Romance, if you ask me. Wrestling and romance is great. I again, there was also the Super World of Sports, which Super I love. World of sports as well. Yeah, who ended up uh, actually was the Japanese company that ended up producing a, a, a working relationship with the WWF, which <laughs> shocked me the other week when I saw Tenryu beating up the Undertaker at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I forgot that Tenryu ended up appearing on that year, actually that year, and ninety five's Royal Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I as think, the I sneaky think... Japanese. Yeah. Hey, WWE, how you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I think the thing about Tenryu that obviously was part of his greatness, but also part of his kind of downfall within his time was that he was doing stuff differently to people, other people. Yeah. yeah. I think a bit of that comes from a little bit of that American influence. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as, like, intense a thing. But, like, with Tenryu earlier on in his career, he spent some time in he spent some time in the US. Mm-hmm. I think it was about six years. Yeah. And then came back and started getting into, like, the, the, progr- the program with... Uh, Saruda in 83 or 84? 84? I want to say. We'll go with, we'll go with 84. <laughs> so obviously he picked up a different bit of a style, a different aspect to his working that obviously made him quite distinct. But obviously his legacy within the All Japan kind of canon, if you will. Yeah is kind of impacted by that thing of like him just like occasionally just being like i'm off i've got a new company to run and then like that dying (laughs) starting another one and then like coming back like four years later (laughs) you have a bit of wanderlust that guy just a a tiny bit i'd say a tiny bit (laughs) all right before i get 
to the to the to the it's like to the five guys I want to talk about. Gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend you to go watch a few Gaijin wrestlers, uh, the foreign wrestlers in all Japan. Uh, let us start with Stan Hansen. Possibly the most convincing cowboy gimmick in all of professional wrestling, if you ask me. Because I'm fairly sure he was an actual cowboy at some yep. point. Yep. The tobacco, tobacco chewing, ball rope swinging. I mean, that was the thing. He he scared he scared a Japanese audience by it. not actually going through the entrance part, but going through the crowd, taking his ball rope with a cowbell on it and just swinging at people. <laughs> Important point about Stan Hansen. Without his glasses, he was legally blind. Yes, so he didn't wear glasses. Oh my god. So, the infamous thing about the Stan Hansen lariat, which is, it looks like it's stiff as hell. The answer is, it was. Because, in his own words, I just kind of threw my arm and hoped that they were where they were supposed to be. I think one oh thing I God. heard was that uh, in terms of consistency, his percentage was about one out of five for actually hitting the chest. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, if you want that's I feel like it's an important thing approaching Stan Hansen matches. But when you know that he's doing most, most of them without being able to see out of one of his eyes. And here's the thing. I still fucking love Stan Hansen. But, no, but, this, and, but then here's the thing. You, the most of his work is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's the craziest thing. <laughs> he can't thing. see. What? No, come on. What? How did that happen? <laughs> and you who, know what allowed, who allowed him to wrestle? Even with two... Even Brayden, with two... This was wrestling in the, in the 80s. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. you got to remember that. Also, isn't it crazy that with two working eyes, JBL still can't lace up Stan Hansen's boots? There we go. I... Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nah, talk your talk, King. Talk your talk. <laughs> He's been trying oh, to make a whole career being Stan Hansen. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, Bruiser Brody is another person I want to give a lot of love and who you should definitely recommend uh, Sorry. To, to watch. To go back to the Stan Hansen point. Oh. <laughs> Stan Hansen is an actual redneck. Yes. BBL is a guy that owns a pickup truck and listens to modern pop country. <laughs> no, that's right. No, that's right. That I mean, yeah. He listens to, what is it, Mason Dixon line? Oh, I've got no idea. I just know it sounds like trash. Fight me, people who listen to modern pop country. <laughs> uh, so, no, Bruiser Brody's another great example of, of an incredibly talented guy, Gene. Gone way too soon, if you ask me, but his influence knows no bounds. Again, very much an erratic kind of dude. Would walk at, start throwing chairs and throwing people and fans around um was famous for just having a chair regardless of whether it was a dq or no dq match <laughs> like long frazzled hair great big bushy beard on him would wear kind of like fur-lined boots and a fur-lined jacket and just bled guts with him and most of the time when he was paired up with abdullah the butcher <laughs> A recipe for disaster. Exactly. Ah, yep. oh, now that you mentioned him, Vader. Vader's time in all Japan cannot be understated, and in New Japan. Vader's time. Matter. Vader's time in all Japan 
is just like I'm fairly sure that I'm watching a crime take place in front of me. Yeah, yeah, I've seen, I've it, seen it, clips. It, it, it's very divisive. <laughs> also, I, I, I'm talking. Well, you've, I, I, Dan's heard this, but talking of Stan Hansen, oh gosh, during a match between Stan Hansen and Vader in a cross promotion All Japan New Japan event, two minutes into the match, and this kind of makes you realize you know it's a bit crazy and of course stan hansen's blind he goes in for an errant fist but it's not closed fist and vader's eye pops out oh yeah that's the infamous that's one. the infamous one that's good and you know what's the craziest thing vader popped his eye back in and continued with the match yep good god oh, also of, of course uh the Can-Am Express, which was one of my favourite tag teams in all Japan. Can't recommend those uh, guys enough. Funnily enough, just just doing just doing a little video on them uh, recently, and they, they got brought up. The team of Dan Crawford and Doug Furness. Yep. Two guys that definitely should have uh, deserved more in America because they both of them were incredibly talented dudes. Yep. Uh, Doug Furness especially, because he had all the I think he had all of the he had the look, he had the move set, everything that you needed, I think, to have to have been able to succeed in America, but some reason never did. Never understood that, uh if you ask me. And of course Fuck Dr. Diff mm-hmm. uh, Steve yes. Oh Steve Williams. Steve, Steve Williams, Stevie the, Boy, the most successful gaijin in all Japan. Uh, one of the, one of I mean, yeah, I guess so. Was uh, well, I think a multiple-time triple crown champion during his time in mm-hmm. all Japan, and ended up having great matches with a ton of opponents. Some, some small, some large, but against four guys in particular, and the guys I want to talk about to you right now. Reardon, you've heard their names. You've heard the moniker that they all go by. But I guess me and Dan can't recommend enough that if you want to watch All Japan, uh, who to look out for in All Japan, you need to look for the four pillars of heaven. Plus one as well. (laughs) But I'll get to him. Of course, the four pillars of heaven are Akira Tawe, Mitsuharu Misawa, Toshiaki Kawada, and Kenta Kobashi. And the unofficial fifth pillar... Jun Akiyama. Where do we? He's even... kind of like he's kind of like the son of the four, yeah. which feels wrong. Gosh, but how do we? Even like begin? he should just be the fifth. Exactly. But like... Exactly. Where do we even begin to talk when we talk about the four pillars, Dan? Like, I mean, I feel like we've brought up their names quite a lot. You know, of we've mentioned on many occasions Masawa, Kawada, Kabashi, and Tawe. Uh, so you've heard those names, I'm sure, Reardon, by now. Yes, yes, definitely. But how do we describe to like to Reardon what these, how just how important these guys are to all Japan? I mean, I guess if you want to think about it in a certain way, you could just say like, pick any four people from an influential promotion at a time, because basically they they were just the they were the group of guys which cemented a main event and basically became the point of no this is who you come to see yeah because i guess you could draw you could draw parallels to like 
New Japan's Musketeers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you were gonna. I don't know if you were gonna do it with. I don't know, like WWE, but I guess you could just say like you know, Rock, Austin, and like you know Triple H and Undertaker in the two like ninety nine ninety five to two thousand. Yeah. Um. You know, Hogan, Andre, Savage did a little in like the eighties. Hmm. But it's just be like they were the focus. The four of them, they were the ones you went you went to go and see. So and the ones that kind of solidified the legacy, if you will, of the King's Road style. Absolutely, they and all of them had such like different different uh, like wrestling styles as well. We had uh, Masawa was a was a technically based guy, but given an excursion to mexico and when he adopted uh the tiger mask gimmick uh, and became tiger mask 2 he decided to incorporate a lot more elements of of high flying uh, there's actually a quote from masawa that says i didn't mind taking the gimmick it was just that sayama uh the original guy used so many kicks and i don't know how to throw a kick <laughs> Of course, he ends Again, up. Again, it seems like the thing you'd kind of think about before you go ahead, but I just assume that they were just like, yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, Masara and Kawada are actually high school friends, and it was through them two that they decided they wanted to become wrestlers. They both came up together, went up into the All Japan Dojo together, and ended up tagging a lot as well. And of course, they would end up becoming fierce, bitter enemies uh, like several years down the line. Uh, Kawada is a very hard-hitting guy with a lot of emphasis on just hard-hitting You kicks. want me to talk about Doshiaki Kawada? <laughs> oh, he kicks your fucking head off a dead sub. <laughs> Doshiaki Kawada, I'm fairly sure, when you watch his matches, you're not quite sure if he knows that wrestling is actually a work. <laughs> and, when, and when I say that about most people, it's like slightly tongue-in-cheek. But with Kawada... It feels very real. Yes. And when I say that, yeah. I mean that he doesn't realize the fact that wrestling is, in fact, the work. <laughs> Straight, just shoot kicks constantly, mm-hmm. huh? Mm. Oh, God. Uh, oh, yeah. Tarway, I would definitely say, is the guy that is the guy that if Giant Barber um, wanted to clone himself, Tarway would be that guy. And now that's not a knock on Tarway because he actually was a lot more agile and a lot more hard-hitting than Barber, and then some. And I feel that Tarway does not get enough love that he that does not. That he, that he, he's, that he I think the thing is, compared to the other three, he's weirdly low-key. Mm. But that's just kind of because... Whereas, you know, Kawada was kicking the, kicking the living hell out of people and just finding increasingly more dangerous ways to do power bombs. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, missile missile was flying about all over the place. Oh, and let's not forget that Masawa's elbow is god. Yeah. And and Kabashi was, you know, doing the most insane power moves at the time and doing moonsaults. Mm-hmm. That like <laughs> Tawe just being like a really really good <laughs> solid foundation based wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> kind of gets lost in the shuffle, which is a shame, really. Yeah, because he's actually just really good. <laughs> he's really, really good. Oh, and then of course, Kenta Kobashi, 
Oh, the dude who probably... It was the first guy I got actually exposed to back in the day. And I think I've, I will say this, maybe it's personal bias. Kabashi's always kind of been one of my favorites out of the four pillars <laughs> because the dude is just so, the dude has, is just iconic in everything he does in his moves. As you said, a lot of power moves. He had an incredible moonsault on him. And the reason why I love machine gun chops, even though they make no sense whatsoever, I still love machine gun nah, chops. Nah, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter if they don't make sense. If it looks good, it's good. It, yep. Exactly, exactly. These guys would be would would team together and feud together on and off during their careers. Masawa, Kawada, and Kabashi would be part of the stable known as the Super Generation Army, which consisted of, of them. Tawe before he left to join Jumbo's group known as Saruta Goon. We had Siyoshi Kikuchi. Great guy. Yeah. Completely, I was going to say, completely goes undiscussed, but definitely needs to be in the conversation with those with, with those guys. Uh, Satoru Osako and of course, Jun Akiyama, who's still wrestling to this very day and I cannot wait to see um, him eventually have his match with Eddie Kingston. It's crazy. At 52 years old, Jun Akiyama has never slowed down in his style. And I still think is just as good as he was when he first started out. Uh, you know, like, when you're that good, you're that good. <laughs> exactly. Jun Akiyama is like one of those, is, is one of those kind of like staple names in Japanese wrestling, uh, Reardon. And one of those guys that, if no one, like, with no doubt, if you ever go and like type in All Japan, nine times out of ten, you are always going to see a Junakiyama match come up in the search results. Um, it, it, and it's it, the consistency that guys had his entire career as well cannot be understated. I mean, I sound like I'm really hyping him up, and I feel bad if like I, I if you go watch him, it's like, oh god, I I, I can't see it, but it's like I can't again, I can't state it enough he is just that good <laughs> i mean this again, guy I think, I think, again i think it comes down to that that point about this is the guy that made the blue thunder bomb this is the reason why john cena had his fourth move of doom really <laughs> that's how influential <laughs> Junakiyama is it, it, it's that thing about like all japan style which is that i think if it if it clicks with you it clicks with you and if it doesn't it probably won't. <laughs> Which is a shame, because I think a lot of people miss out on, you know, some some really, really cool stuff. Exactly. But, you know. So, before I go on to recommending you, or where to, where to start and what to start, and what, where to start and what kind of matches uh, you should kind of watch for your first viewing, before I get to that, I also want to tell and let you know, Reardon, that I think All Japan also spawned one of the greatest tag team names in all of professional oh, the wrestling. Tag teams, the tag team names okay. are brilliant. Okay, what do you got for me? So, on, in second place, we have the team of Steve Williams and Terry Gordy, known as the Miracle Violence Connection. Okay. And in first place, we have Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada, the Holy Demon Army. What in the hell? It's the best name for a tag I don't know team how, ever. I don't know how to describe the concept, but basically the thing became like, the thing about it is it's like... um, Just like... 
I really, again, I don't know how to describe it. <clears throat> feel for, like in terms of kind of like how it kind of all got started. Basically, Tawe and Kawada got kind of sick and tired of beating the holy shit out of each other. So they thought, why don't we combine and beat the holy shit out of other people? <laughs> Genius. No notes. <laughs> again, I've, I've, you know what? Is is this my time to talk about just giant bubble booking? Yes, please. Please talk like, about giant bubble booking. Giant bubble booking is basically just booking based off pure vibes. Yes. <laughs> There is obviously more to it, ultimately. But one of the key points is pre-planned stories don't really exist. (laughs) Things just cut. Basically, it was built upon this thing of like the crowd should decide kind of what happens. So if people like seeing two people, (laughs) let's give them more of that. Yes. Okay. They like seeing two people against each other. Let's get let's give them more of that. <laughs> if last time they got to a certain point and people were interested, let's take it further. <laughs> Each time, just what do people want to see and how can and what can we do to make that bigger? Yeah. It is it is just like Okay, we hear you. Let's see what you want and we'll give it to you. Now, obviously, that doesn't always work. Ultimately, in practice, like there's a time, sure. there's that time period of where, um, you know, people thought like I think in revision now we look at it and say like, oh, Kawada probably should have beaten Misawa. Yeah, <laughs> but like, you know, like that that's kind of to, that's kind of to the point. But it's like, oh, you like these two, then you're about to get these two. <laughs> And that was, I mean, that was his booking when it came to uh, when Masawa unmasked as Tiger Mask. Um, he he saw the reception that got, which was one of the biggest receptions all Japan had ever had, and he realized that he had a, an absolute star in the making. So why wait? He got him in the ring with Jumbo and ended up having an absolute classic of a match that ended up overnight turning Masawa from. Uh, from a from a from a promising main eventer to an absolute legend. <laughs> so Barber kind it's of also just... worth, it's also worth saying that his attitude of the attitude inspired by splitting from the NWA, yeah, <laughs> is is really important to talk about because it's it's part of why we talk so much about future proofing in wrestling. Yeah, because he was there and went well. We're not going to have as many people coming from outside. So we're going to have to make sure we're prepared. And just set up like like 10 different people just to become like straight up just like future main eventers. Mm-hmm. He's, again, he, 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 knew, he knew what to do and he knew what, he knew what it would take. Yeah. Um, He's also a case study on why being trustworthy as a promoter is in fact a good thing. But that's a separate point. That's a separate point. Now, it's not oh, to say I'm... that he did have, uh, did have, didn't have down moments because sometimes his booking was, oh, re- yeah. was really weird, especially with tournaments as well, like the Champion Carnival and the Real World Tag League. <laughs> he was that. Was that just a uh, um, 
was that just a result of it of him just working solely off audience like reaction? Yeah, exactly. Like there were so many draws, draw matches during tournaments. It was kind of silly, really at times. <laughs> right, right. All right. Yeah. With that though, Riordan, we need to know, and we need to tell you, uh, and to the to anyone listening who is actually interested in all Japan, where do you start? Now, you could always start right at the beginning. You could always go to 1972 and start like right there. Although, nowadays, finding stuff really from the beginning of all Japan is very hard to come by. Uh, you can find kind of match cards and data all on cage match, but trying to find images or, or videos of it, it's very hard and rare to come by. Do you go to the late 80s to 1982 to the start of Jumbo Saruta? You can, if you are really interested in knowing a, kind of like the start of the very first ace of all Japan. But I would recommend, if it were me, and I was trying to recommend anyone to start with all Japan, I would highly and strongly recommend you start in 1989. You're right in the midst of Jumbo's time as ace of all Japan. You've got new guys coming in uh, that would soon to be shaped to become absolute legends of the promotion. Uh, you've also got some of the best wrestling in the 80s actually coming out from all Japan as well. Mm. Uh, as, and everyone we've talked about as well, like uh, like the Gaijin of uh, like Stan Hansen as well, is there right in the thick of it with Jumbo as well. So I highly recommend anyone wants to start off, start with 1989 and go all the... I would start from 1989 to 2000. That is your ballpark of the golden age of all Japan. Yeah, that's right like your <clears throat> that's like your kind of real center. I know for me, in terms of being able to find footage, it generally gets easier once you pass nineteen ninety two. Yes. <laughs> so that's generally that's generally where I've had the most success, like 1992 onwards, and then kind of by like 2001, you're okay for most of the stuff. And honest to goodness, and I'm not saying this because I'm working with him, <laughs> but if you really want to have a much more concise and more informative kind of uh look into all japan i seriously cannot recommend walking the king's road by joseph monticilio enough <laughs> do we work do we technically work with him yes but it's a good resource okay a, yeah. yeah he let's listen the shameless plug shameless it's absolute shameless plug there but i can't recommend it and i, I mean it's part of the reason why Joseph's become so successful and, you know, he's become such good friends with Eddie Kingston is because of walking the King's Road. As Eddie tweeted one time, can I just employ you to make nothing but walking the King's Road videos, Joseph? Now, that's that's a co-sign. <laughs> exactly. But Joseph goes over, you know, every match uh, starting from 1989, and it's still ongoing as of this recording as well. I think he's only gotten up to 1995 as 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 uh, as we speak. So, what well, I mean, I mean, 1995 is an absolute year. Is probably the absolute best year in my opinion for all Japan. So, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't rush into going to 1995 if you are starting out because you're gonna lose a lot of what yeah of of the grand like the 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 gravitas of matches and of cards and of rivalries as well. You really want to start 89 because then you <clears> you get you get a, where all Japan was with Jumbo, and once you get to 1990, you start to see the four pillars really coming into their own, and then by 95 you just they are the are the only thing that's on all japan <laughs> and that's not a bad thing unlike wwf <laughs> it's, it's not a bad thing all things considered. again when there's the whole key point about always trying to go bigger and better rather than i'm gonna do the same match over and over because i can now here's the thing a lot of people will tell you to go watch 6394, the the Triple no. Crown <laughs> title match between uh, Masawa and Kawada. I think me and Dan, no. I agree with Dan. It's probably not the best thing to do to rush straight into that. It's a fantastic it's, it's match. It's an iconic that, match. It's one of those things that you can't just, like, jump into. I yeah. mean, you can, <laughs> but then, like, you'll, you won't... I. I kind of say it like you can watch it and you can see it, but you may not understand what makes it click for people. Mm. In the in the same in the same way that, for example, like I, I guess I could say something like um, if you say like certain music subgenres, lovely stuff. Like I could give, I could give you. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Example I can use. <laughs> so I have, I have a friend that's a, a jazz musician, and he once sent me over some stuff and was like, "Hey, I think you might be interested in this. Mm. Listen to it." I was like, "I'll be honest, I don't like it." <laughs> and he's guys said to me like, "Oh, but like, you know, you're, you're into music. I, I figured you'd you'd like this kind of stuff." And I was like, nah, not really. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's for me. And the key part is I don't have jazz vocabulary. <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> In the same way that I could send him, for example, a post metal track, and he probably wouldn't have the same reaction that I would to it. <laughs> because they're two very different things. Mm. That appreciation of it doesn't necessarily extend out to appreciating other stuff. <laughs> I wouldn't say you have to speak the language of it, <clears throat> but you need to have like a frame of reference. Mm. Like I, if I, if I was meeting someone, and said like, "Oh, hey, like I'm new, I'm new into like listening to." Uh, for myself, I'll just say metal, for example. My first thing would not be sending them, like, an Armin Ra track. <laughs> <laughs> because that means nothing to them. <laughs> it doesn't do any help for me to do that. But, like, I could send them, for example, something like, I don't know, in this case, like, a Deftones track. And they could yeah. probably understand, like, what I mean and the point I'm trying to get across, and then that can let them explore further. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, we can't go. We can't go. You can't go. You know, throwing people in the deep end right away. And I feel like all Japan, you really can't. As a wrestling for a wrestling fan to like who wants to start watching all Japan, you cannot because they will get lost so quickly. Or they'll just be like, "Nah, I don't like this." We want to. We kind of want to. We kind of want to rein you in, Rid, and before we get you to the good stuff, you know. <laughs> so have we? convinced you somewhat to maybe give all japan a start well if i'm gonna be on this damn podcast and know what you guys are fucking talking about then yeah yes yes it would be <laughs> no, in, no, in, all, in all seriousness it is something like as i mentioned in our um in our q a it's something that i really do need to look into more mm. but uh, yeah i do think like knowing a little bit about this about this history would be worth it and it sounds good and hell i just it means i get to see more of vader killing people which is always neat yeah yeah god bless you vader <laughs> god bless vader just murdering people it's like, in the, it's like in the same vein sometimes i just say to people like if you need sometimes the best way of watching stuff is just through like seeing see little bits, get that general feel, and then try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shout out to all the people out there that do GIFs of All Japan uh, on Twitter. Yes. You guys are awesome. Oh, yeah. I bet, shout out to you guys. I've been looking at that that that, that pure, um, I think, portal or something like that. Flow. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Shout out to you guys Let doing, the, oh, doing the love. Doing the law's work, you guys. I'd say Pura Suflo and Vintage Pura Risu and Cult of Bunakano, you're doing the law's work on Twitter. Pura Risu Flow is how I keep up with uh, Stardom right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a completely unironic statement. (laughs) I love it. Well, I'm glad that you said you you, you would like to give it a go, Reardon, because... (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna seg. This is gonna segue on what we're gonna do our next episode. So we're gonna do something a very different, something we haven't done before. It's gonna be like a review, but we're gonna do it only specifically for one match, and we're gonna do it with well a match from All Japan in 1989. It's gonna be Jumbo Sharuda versus Genichiro Tenryu from 1989. All Japan, I think it was Superpower Series 1989. <laughs> this is a very important match in the kind of like the, the law of Japanese wrestling and indeed for All Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, and I'm really excited for you to kind of sit down and watch this one, Reed, and give us your thoughts. I'll give you a little bit of historical context as well, going leading into this match and what it means after for All Japan. And I kind of I'll do that after we've after you've kind of given your thoughts and feelings about this match. Um, but yeah, that's all coming up for the next episode. So this is kind of like where we wrap up. I'm really happy that I get to talk about kind of like off the cuff about all Japan because I'll be honest with you guys, if I had very little prep. This is coming through the mind of an all Japan fan. <laughs> Who needs prep when you have just pure pure obsession? Who needs planning when you have pure vibes? Exactly. (laughs) It's the way Giant Baba would have wanted it to be. Uh, I need to find that video of someone that edited all Japan clips to the jackass theme. 
Oh my god. Oh no. And it basically oh, starts with no. I am giant I'm giant barber. Welcome to Jackass. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I'll find that. I'll, I'll find that. Hopefully, we'll, we'll like we'll read. Dad will retweet it on our uh, on our Twitter. But someone find that for us, please. On the ne- well, that is all coming up for the next episode. Tenryu uh, versus Saruda. But until then, I've been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon, and you've been listening to the Sweet Chin Wag podcast. We'll see you as always on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye. See ya.